0: Or online at VictoriaSecret.com.
1: Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio.
2: Mary Ann Clark has been described today as a person who quote directed, starred, and costumed her life as if it were an 18th century play, except it wasn't. Her biggest claim to fame was her attempt to blackmail Prince Frederick, Duke of York and Albany, by threatening to publish love letters and anything and everything he'd ever sent to her, basically. If you've been with us this season, yes, it does sound like a story similar to the blackmailing of the Duke of Wellington by his mistress, but the similarities end here. Let's talk about blackmail political enemies, and how, during the late 18th century, Marianne Clark could help you get a better rank in the British army. Welcome to Criminalia. I'm Maria Tremarki.
1: And I'm Holly Fry. So let's get to know the Duke of York, who is the victim in this story. Born Prince Frederick Augustus, he was the second son of King George III of Great Britain and Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Stralitz, Germany. It's often repeated that he was his father's favorite son. Frederick was also tight with his older brother, George, and the two had a fondness for various vices. Frederick's weakness was for gambling, both on cards and on horses, and he was often in debt. And George was always there to get him out of a bind. Frederick and his younger brother studied in Hanover at the University of Göttingen. He gained a lot of titles, and very quickly. He was knighted more than once, including... Knight of the Most Honorable Order of the Bath in 1767, followed by Knight of the Garter in 1771. On November 27, 1784, he was bestowed with the Dukedom of York and Albany and the Earldom of Ulster, and he became a member of the Privy Council, taking his seat in the House of Lords in 1787.
2: But he never became king. It just wasn't in the cards for him. Between November of 1788 and March of 1789, Frederick's father, King George III, took seriously ill. His physical and mental health deteriorated, and remedies at the time, such as purging, bleeding, and administering laudanum and quinine, all proved useless. It seemed likely to everyone tending to him that his son, Prince George, would likely take over the royal duties. Why not Frederick? Because Frederick was heir presumptive to the throne. He did not reign as king because he had an older brother, the heir apparent. Frederick died three years before his brother George's death. George reigned as King George IV from January 29th, 1820 until his own death in 1830. And he had also acted as Prince Regent since February 5th, 1811, when his father's illness was judged to be permanent. So to clarify what all that meant... An heir presumptive is a person who is entitled to inherit a throne, but whose position can be supplanted by a person with a more eligible claim to the position. So in this instance, that would be his brother George. George, as the eldest son, was heir apparent, meaning he was the first in an order of succession to the throne, and his position couldn't be displaced by someone else. George would have had to have died before Frederick could reign. So Frederick, instead, had a long military career.
1: After university, Frederick got married. On September 29, 1791, he married his cousin, Princess Frederica Charlotte of Prussia, at Charlottenburg Palace in Berlin. That ceremony was then repeated at Buckingham Palace on November 23 that same year. Frederick and Frederica had no children, and after three years, the couple separated. The Duchess retired to Weybridge, southwest of London,
2: and the Duke remained in London. Also after university, as we just briefly mentioned, Frederick joined the British Army, where he didn't immediately find success, neither on the battlefield nor with his fellow officers. For example, on May 26, 1789, he was nearly killed in a duel with Lieutenant Colonel Charles Lennox, a member of the Duke's Regiment of the Coldstream Guards. There's unconfirmed speculation about what ignited the incident, but to sum up what is known— It seems Frederick maybe made some disparaging remarks about Charles Lennox's family and doubtful it helped that then the Duke allegedly followed up with an off the cuff remark that Lennox was too cowardly to respond. Lennox did respond and challenged the Prince to a duel. The Gentleman's Magazine, a monthly publication in London, reported on the affair and stated that Lennox's bullet, quote, grazed his Royal Highness's curl. Lennox missed. And Frederick refused to return fire. He fired into the air instead. In the end, Lennox switched regiments.
1: We're going to take a break from dueling for a word from our sponsors. And when we return, we'll talk about how, even though Frederick endured battlefield failures, he turned out to be quite a skilled commander in chief.
2: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply.
0: This
1: episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable, and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions, and I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past, and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit SimplySafe.com slash Criminalia. That's Simply Safe dot ecom slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really, like, go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie, and it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash Criminalia for 10% off your first order.
2: Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's kick things off with an unkind rhyme about the Duke that swept through London. A mean expression of what people thought of his military skill.
1: Duels aside, as an officer in the British Army, the Duke led military campaigns, and he had several notable engagements. But as an inexperienced officer, he faced humiliating defeats, including the campaign of the First Coalition War and the Flanders Campaign between 1793 and 1795. Under his command, thousands of men were killed in those two years of fighting, Because of his military failures during the French Revolutionary Wars and the Napoleonic Wars, he was famously nicknamed the Grand Old Duke of York, and that was not in a kind way. And he became the subject of a then well-known nursery rhyme, which went like this. The Grand Old Duke of York, he had 10,000 men. He marched them up to the top of the hill, and he marched them down again. And when they were up, they were up. And when they were down, they were down. And when they were only halfway up, they were neither up nor down. It's not the most scheming (laughs) by modern standards, but it is sort of like going, he doesn't know what he's doing.
2: Frederick continued to rise in rank, and he became commander in chief of the British armed forces in April of 1795, though his official command began in 1798. And this is where he shined. As commander-in-chief, he implemented reforms that truly revolutionized British forces. While he was generally unsuccessful as a field commander, he was strong in his administrative role and ending corruption within the military was a priority for him. Let's go through some of his highlights. He established training for troops in both drill and field maneuvers. He implemented structure for discipline of troops. He also insisted that British Army greatcoats and other clothing supplies were purchased with public funds. Previously, colonels were left to clothe their own regiments and were expected to pay for those supplies out of their own pocket. As Commander-in-Chief, Frederick also established and trained the Rifle Brigade, the 95th Regiment, the first British unit equipped with baker rifles and outfitted in uniforms designed for camouflage rather than ceremonial use. And it was Frederick who introduced a system for sending confidential reports to the head office.
1: As part of that big picture, Frederick also sought to enhance the quality of Army medical officers and facilities. Although he was not a physician or surgeon himself, he was undeniably one of the most important patrons of his day, and his efforts and support directly enabled others to make important medical advances. He also did some really big things regarding the health of his troops. He implemented hygiene initiatives and adopted improved medical treatments, and part of that included taking an active role in efforts to prevent and treat ophthalmia, an inflammation of the eye that we know as conjunctivitis or pink eye, which was running rampant among the troops. Frederick also took interest in British surgeon Edward Jenner's vaccine for smallpox. This is generally considered the world's first vaccine, and it appeared in 1796. He supported and promoted what we would now consider to be clinical trials for inoculation in general. And as the son of a father who was often sidelined from royal duties due to his mental health, Frederick had a special interest in understanding and curing mental illness. He sponsored the pioneering work of Alexander Morrison, a Scottish physician and psychiatrist, Then he would have been known as an alienist who was studying, lecturing, and publishing his observations. Morrison was a pioneer in psychiatric medicine,
2: and his work was backed by the Duke. Ultimately, Frederick's push for a merit-based promotion system helped lead to the establishment of the Royal Military College in 1802 for the training of military officers. It's now known as the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, and Winston Churchill Both Prince William and Prince Harry, actor David Niven, and musician James Blunt are all notable alumni. All of these positives and operational successes we've been talking about, they all directly enabled the British to ultimately defeat Napoleon's French army in the Battle of Waterloo during the Napoleonic Wars.
1: And then Frederick was blackmailed and accused of taking bribes. We're going to break for a word from our sponsors, but when we're back, we're going to talk about how that happened.
0: Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret.
2: Welcome back to Criminalia. Blackmail and bribery are our focus now, so let's talk about the person at the middle of it all, Marianne Clark.
1: All right, let me introduce you to Marianne Clark. Born Mary Ann Thompson, she was the daughter of a tradesman. And at the age of 19, give or take a year, she married a stonemason named Joseph Clark, who she left for a more glamorous and prosperous life as a courtesan. A courtesan, just to keep everybody on the same page, was a person who had transactional relationships with wealthy, powerful, or influential clients, such as the Duke of York.
2: After about three years, the Duke ended his relationship with Marianne Clark. When he ended her annual allowance, she threatened to leak, quote, "...everything which has come under my knowledge during our intimacy with all his letters." Basically, she threatened to go public about the relationship details unless her allowance was reinstated. The Duke's sister, Princess Elizabeth, summed up the matter saying, quote, there never was so infamous a business.
1: So here we have Marianne threatening to blackmail Frederick if he didn't give her money. But here's where things get more interesting than just love letters gone public. Marianne had some crooked financial dealings relating to army commissions. She accepted money in return for obtaining commissions from the Duke by adding names to promotion lists waiting for his signature, meaning men who wanted a better rank would pay Marianne Clark, and she would then slip their names past the Duke for his approval.
2: Frederick's influential enemies took notice of this. In January of 1809, Gwillem Wardle, a former colonel in the Duke's army and considered a fairly radical member of parliament, brought accusations against the Duke and against Marianne Clark, alleging that the two accepted money from anyone in the British army seeking to buy commission. Wardle insisted the Duke knew about his mistress's corruption of the military forces and also insisted that the Duke shared the proceeds of Marianne's deals.
1: A parliamentary inquiry was launched, and it lasted 12 days. When Marianne testified against Frederick before the House of Commons, it was reported that she stylishly wore, quote, a blue dress and carried a stylish white muff. She refuted all of the allegations against her and gave what many described as an outstanding theatrical performance on the stand. Even William Wilberforce, a member of Parliament, recorded in his journal that she had, quote, clearly got the better in the
2: tussle. Parliament examined the evidence presented and decided to clear the Duke of personal corruption and of aiding the corruption of his mistress. They found no evidence to link him to the accusation against him and acquitted him of receiving bribes by a vote of 278 to 196. However, Parliament also felt that Way too much information of an official military nature had been shared with Marianne by Frederick, and the Duke was forced to resign his official appointments. In the end, he lost his army. Marianne was paid £10,000 and also given an annuity of £400 by the government in exchange for her surrender of the Duke's letters. Her deal also included that she destroy any prepared memoirs. When Wardle entered
1: the story, it turned out we added one more villain. About two years after the Duke's trial, it came to light that Wardle, the instigator who accused the Duke of taking bribes, had bought Marianne's testimony against Frederick in return for cash payments and, you just can't make this up, also agreeing to redecorate her house? Sure. Clark, showing off her political weasel skills, persuaded Francis Wright, who was an upholsterer, to sue Wardle for alleged non-payment of a bill for furniture for her house in Westburn Place. That case came before the King's Bench on July 3rd, 1809. This was the highest court in England, with jurisdiction over both civil and criminal actions. And Marianne revealed in the legal proceedings that Wardle had bought her testimony against the Duke of York with a promise to pay the cost of furnishing her new home. After a lengthy deliberation, the jury returned a verdict. Wardle was ordered to pay the outstanding debt for the furniture and associated costs.
2: Not one to accept and move on, Wardle subsequently indicted Clark and two others for conspiracy. Not unlike her blackmail act with the Duke, Marianne replied to Wardle with a public threat to expose his lies and his bribes, and Wardle's long list of enemies was delighted to hear that. When the case against Wardle was tried five months later, he denied having given Marianne anything more than general assurance, testifying that, quote, for any services she might render the public, the public would reward her. He did admit to having given her 120 pounds to meet her urgent bills. And though multiple witnesses testified that he had, though perhaps circuitously paid for her home's furnishings, Wardle denied it. The verdict sided with Clark, and Wardle's reputation was ruined.
1: In the summer of 1810, Marianne published the book, The Rival Princes. Its full title is long, and we love a long title, so you get the whole thing. It's the rival princes or a faithful narrative of facts relating to Mrs. M. A. Clark's political acquaintance with Colonel Wardle, Major Dodd, who were concerned in the charges against the Duke of York, together with a variety of authentic and important letters and curious and interesting anecdotes of several persons of political notoriety. So at least you knew what you were getting. (laughs) In this book, she admitted that she had assisted in the campaign against the Duke for her own financial gain. She claimed the whole business was a conspiracy organized by Prince Edward, Duke of Kent. That's one of Frederick's younger brothers. And that Wardle had promised her financial rewards for participating in Frederick's ruin. Not all of her written allegations are taken seriously, or certainly not as fact, by historians today. But it does remain quite clear that money was exchanged for ill-gotten gains in all of this. True or not, her story was enough to discredit and humiliate both the Duke and Wardle.
2: The Duke soldiered on. Shortly after his older brother George became Prince Regent in 1811, Frederick was exonerated and reappointed Commander-in-Chief of the British military. About 15 years later, at age 63, Frederick died of dropsy, which in modern terms we'd call complications of congestive heart failure. And today, if you'd like to see him, the Duke of York stands tall in London in a plaza atop a set of steps leading from the mall to Waterloo Place and Gardens. And there, you'll find a 100-plus-foot granite column topped with a bronze statue of the prince. I know, this is a story.
1: It's a lot of story. So for our coercion concoction, if you're ready with me, my first thought was to do something simple. Actually, that's my second thought. My first thought was, we need a wildly complicated drink to mirror this. (laughs) And then I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Nobody, there's no need. Wildly complicated drinks are fun on occasion, but like, They're not really my jam. I want something delicious and easy so that you can put it together and enjoy it and think, whew, I'm sure glad I'm not the Duke of York. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
2: not in front of the King's Bench right now.
1: (laughs) So then I was thinking about drinks that are simple and also popular in Great Britain. And one of the ones that I thought about, and I don't have any scientific numbers for its popularity, is a very simple drink. It's a whiskey ginger. Which I was talking with a bartender in London last year when I was visiting and he was mentioning that he has several clients. That's just their drink. They don't he knows their brand of whiskey that they use. He knows their proportions. Like your standard whiskey ginger is usually like one part whiskey to three parts ginger ale. It's a very simple, easy drink. Anybody can make it. That's there's nothing. And I love them. They're quite tasty. But I thought, what if we made it a little fancier? And I thought about Marianne in her fabulous dress with her muff. I'm calling this whiskey ginger in a dress because we just added a a couple of things, but we didn't really complicate it much. We're going to give it a little fruity note, but I don't want that to scare anybody because the fruit gets cut like it, it doesn't taste like a fruity drink, but that flavor gets in there. So you are going to start with a half ounce of Chambord or another raspberry liqueur, if you want, an ounce of whiskey. And this is a choose your own adventure. I went with an Irish whiskey and you're going to shake those together with ice, strain them over fresh ice in like a Collins glass is great, but listen, whatever glassware you like to use is the right glassware. And then you're going to top this very simply with three ounces of ginger ale and then one ounce of grapefruit soda or sparkling grapefruit juice. And you can give it a stir if you want, or you can let it do the mix as you sip move. Something really lovely happens where the chambour adds like a bass note. Mm-hmm. It rounds it out in a really nice way that a whiskey ginger doesn't have that depth of flavor. But then the grapefruit keeps it very bright and a little bit softer. So you're not like, wow, now this tastes like a candy whiskey ginger. It has a little more. I like when grapefruit shows up. Me too. It's very delicious. I don't usually like to eat a grapefruit, but I love what it does to spirits. Me too. Yep. If used judiciously. I also added two dashes of Angostura bitters to mine, which also helped cut any of that. Like, this is like a fruit drink kind of thing. And just gives it a little more... That's a word. It's totally a word. It brings out the notes, but they play together. So you're not like, wow, this is a heavy whiskey drink or a heavy ginger drink. They just all become their own flavor, which is exactly what I love in a cocktail. To make a mocktail of this as easy as pie, you're going to use an ounce of black tea in lieu of that whiskey. And you will use a half ounce of a raspberry syrup and the rest is the same. If you don't want to use bitters, we have talked about recently on the show and I will probably do it going forward. You can use a couple drops of food grade saline, a little salt water. I didn't invent that, lots of people do. No, no, but it,
2: it, it just is just to add a little special boost.
1: Bitters are seasonings for drinks essentially. So you're seasoning it just in a different way. And it's very yummy. This might go on the menu at my home bar. We'll see what happens but that is the whiskey, ginger, and a (laughs) dress. I hope you like it if you make it. I sure do like that you've spent this time with us, and I know Maria does too. We'll be right back here next week for a little more Criminalia for you. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app,